Thanks for being here. Hebrews chapter 12 this morning. As we continue our series in the book of Hebrews, I'm just going to read. I'd like you to follow along as I read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 12. The author says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, we must get rid of every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with endurance the race that is set for us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set out for him, he endured the cross despising or disregarding the shame and has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of him who endured such opposition against himself by sinners so that you may not grow weary in your souls and give up. You have not yet resisted to the point of blood in your struggle against sin. The author here is talking to us about running a race. And we know that this is not talking about running a race to become a Christian. Because we don't have to run a race to be saved. The Bible teaches, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. For by grace we are saved through faith. That's not of ourselves. It is the gift of God, not of work, so that no one can boast. So I don't have to like do all this in order to be saved. So why then is he comparing now our life to running a race? Because he's talking to us then as Christians, as he is to his recipients of this letter, as those who have a choice, you see. Just as we have a choice of whether to become a Christian or not, we have a choice of entering into a race or not. And I believe that the Bible teaches that all Christians are invited to run this race. What is this race? It is the race toward spiritual growth and maturity. It is the race to to have God build into us the character of Jesus Christ. It is the race that that, uh, conforms us to Jesus Christ. It is the race that allows us to begin to reach our full potential for Christ. For whether you realize it or not, God not only created each of us for a purpose, but he saved us for a purpose. And the only way we're ever going to find that purpose in our life is to be willing to run this race. What happened with the recipients of this letter is they had said yes. They were willing to accept God's invitation and begin to run the race, which I commend them for. Because not every Christian accepts the invitation. In the Bible, Jesus said, many are called and few are chosen. And even though that's an unfortunate English translation, really what Jesus is teaching is this. He's saying... Christians are invited to run the race, but fewer accept that invitation to run. Many Christians are just satisfied with being saved, 
Knowing where they're going when they die, having their sins forgiven, and that's it. They're not interested in running a race toward Christ-like character and spiritual maturity and all of that. That is no interest to them. And then fewer even than those that accept the invitation actually finish the course. Instead of dropping out somewhere along the line. Either once they get into this race, they realize how grueling and hard it is. Or maybe they didn't even recognize what they were, you know, getting signed up for. And somewhere along the Christian life, they just go, no, this isn't for me anymore. And they drop out. They quit. Which is the danger of what was getting ready to happen to the Hebrews that the writer was writing this to. They had entered this race towards spiritual growth and maturity and towards reaching their potential and toward what God saved them for and to do God's will and to see Christ's character formed in them. But things were getting really difficult. And they were in danger of, as I said, dropping out of the race. In fact, in the book of Revelation, it's very interesting that Christians are sort of divided into three categories when they come back with Christ to set up his earthly kingdom. They're all those, obviously, that are invited by Christ Then there are those that have accepted the invitation. And finally, there's the group that actually finishes and crosses the finish line. Sees it through all the way to the end. Someone that we could point to as an example of that in Scripture would be Paul. Where he says, about the end of his own life, I finished my course. I I fought. (laughs) I ran well. And I'm done. Even Jesus in his own life, as we're going to see, was an example of no matter how much he went through, he put his head down and he was totally focused on doing the Father's will and not getting distracted by all these other things. And so on the cross, it's very interesting that the last words that Jesus said was, it is finished. I crossed the finish line for what God the Father had for me to do. And therefore, Jesus, the author is saying, has laid out for us an unbelievable example. But before we get to that, back in chapter 12, verse 1, the author begins to to relate to his readers what, what helps that they have, what supports that they have in order to accept the invitation to run and then once you're in this race to make sure that you and I finish it. What are the things that God has done for us to enable us to finish this race that we are in, this life of faith that we talked about even last week? Well, first of all, up in verse 1 of chapter 12, he says, therefore, and As I've said many times, the word therefore is there for something. It points us back to the immediate context of Hebrews chapter 11. And he even goes on to say, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all those people that I talked about in chapter 11, 
They not only accepted God's invitation to run this race, but they finished. And he's going to say, they should be an inspiration and motivation for us to run the race and finish too. Because he's reminding us that they had less advantages than what we do. They had less to go on than we do. They did not have the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit. We do. They did not have the church. We do. They did not have the completed word of God. We do. And we could go on and on. So he's saying, if they could finish the course, then you and I can finish as well. And we should take note of these folks in our past whether in biblical history or even in our own family history or whatever, who were faithful to the Lord from the time they committed to running this race with Christ and they finished their life crossing the finish line, they should continually be an inspiration and encouragement to us that if they can do it, we can do it too. But there's also something else here. And that is that it's also a reminder to us that just as they are an example to us to keep us going in this race, we need to be conscious that we should become that example to other Christians as well. That we want our lives to count and that we want to live in such a way that when other Christians view us, they don't view us as an example of a Christian who either didn't accept the invitation to run at all, was satisfied where they're at, and, and never entered the race at all. Or that we not only entered the race, but we're going to finish. And we're going to finish well. And we're going to finish strong. And we're going to be able to repeat the same things that Paul said. I fought a good fight. I kept the faith. I finished the course that God had for me. And let me say this. As I've said before. This church, the Oasis, isn't for everybody. And even though everybody's welcome to come to the Oasis, this church probably will not be attractive to those Christians who are just satisfied in being a Christian. This church is going to be more attractive to Christians who are willing to accept the invitation to run this race as hard as it is and who are desiring not only to run, but to make sure that they finish well and that they finish strong. Because that's what this ministry is all about. Because you're going to be challenged when you come to a church like this of not being satisfied just to be a Christian, but to enter the race, accept God's invitation, and not only accept it, but do everything within our power to make sure that we finish that race. Because this race... It's a long-distance marathon. And this race is a grueling course that is really hard. And that's why many Christians, once they enter it, they never finish it. You see, in the Bible, basically what it says is, you've got this group of Christians over here who never accept the invitation to run. Then you've got even fewer Christians who accept the invitation. And then you've got even fewer who actually finish. And we see that more and more and more in the days in which we live. 
Notice he goes on to say another way that you and I can ensure that we finish the race is not only to remember those who went before us who finished, but also to get rid of every weight. It simply means an encumbrance or a hindrance. And you'll notice there that there's not anything necessarily wrong because he separates weights from sin. So in other words, he's saying to us as someone that maybe even you run. You know, the last thing you want when you're out there running, especially long distance, is extra weight on you. That's going to start putting a drag on you and getting you to the point where you're going to have to quit much sooner than what you would have if you wouldn't have had the weight. And what Christians have to get to a place is to realize that if I truly want to enter this race and I want to finish, I've got to be willing to get rid of anything in my life that hinders me, including good things. Good things can be weights. Because if it's something that God has not placed upon us, then guess what? It will eventually start weighing us down. So many Christians today take on more than they should, more than God wants them to, and then they wonder why they wear down in the Christian life. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If a Christian feels so weighed down by all the responsibilities they've taken on, my question is, Are those things you chose or others chose for you? Or are those things that truly God chose for you? Because it doesn't jive with what the Bible teaches because God says, I won't lay all that stuff on you to where it's weighing you down because I understand you're in a race. And the last thing you need is all this extra encumbrances and weights and hindrances to weigh you down as you keep running. God understands you're going to wear out and wear down pretty quickly. So we then have to then go through and go, what is it in my life that's weighing me down? And again, it might not be a bad thing. It might be something worthy and noble and honorable and good. But it's not necessary, at least maybe right now in this season of your life. The author is saying, if we're going to finish... We've continually got to make sure that we are casting off the things that are absolutely not necessary in our life so that we can stay focused on what's really vital and really important, which is running the race. Then obviously he says, oh, and by the way, we've got to get rid of every sin too. And basically what he's saying is that sin is anything that doesn't originate or is empowered by God. If I'm doing something in my life that God has not led me to, then that means also he's not empowering me to do it. See, God will never empower us and strengthen us to sin. He will never empower us or strengthen us not to do his will. So anytime you and I as a Christian take on something that does not originate with God, that God has not led us to do and is not empowering us to do and strengthening us to do, obviously that's going to weigh us down too. Because then we're going to have to do that thing in our own power and strength because God's not going to enable us to do it. 
And therefore, very quickly, we're going to start running out of spiritual gas. And we're going to start running out of breath. And just like the Hebrews, we're going to start waving the white flag. Because again, this race is not a sprint. This race is a long-distance, lifelong marathon from the time you and I accept Christ and accept that invitation to run until the time we meet Jesus and we die. And that's why he's saying, I've got to have this kind of a mindset or else I'll never finish the race. Notice he says, let's get rid of the weights and sin, sin that clings so closely. I love this phrase because in the original, it literally means that competes for our attention, therefore thwarting us and hindering us from staying on task, if you will. See, a runner, if we lose sight of the goal, if we start getting distracted by other things and start turning our head or turning backwards or whatever, then again, we get the, we start losing steam real quickly. If you and I are going to effectively run, and especially this race that is so hard and grueling, because God makes no bones about it, the race towards spiritual growth and maturity, the race towards Christ-like character, the race towards reaching my spiritual potential is not easy. It's not for the faint of heart. You want an easy life? Don't become a follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. But if you want a life that is the greatest life as far as fulfillment and satisfaction goes, then become a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Enter the race. Today we live in a culture worldwide where everyone wants to choose what's easy. If something's hard, we shy away from that and we're always choosing the easy thing. And what we are creating in our world is generations and cultures of people that are so fragile and weak that anything that comes into their life just blows them up. Can't handle it. I don't know how many of you heard this AP story that just came out last week. But colleges all over our country are in crisis. They are actually having to add counselors to their staff. Why? Because the generation of college students that are coming in now that have been raised in this kind of a culture of parents who indulge them and who never, you know, try to, you know, ever let them have to struggle through anything and fight through anything and fight all their battles for them. When they get to college, they can't handle the normal stuff. And they're crumbling and collapsing under the pressure. We've done that to ourselves. Because the only way to get strong is to be able to go through some pain, to struggle, to fight, to go through hard stuff. That makes us stronger, whether we like it or not. Some of the strongest people that I've ever met in my life are children who suffer with things like cancer and childhood disease. And you go, oh my goodness, you got more strength than many of us adults have. 
Because it wasn't your choice. It wasn't by your choosing, but you got dealt a hand and you have to deal with some hard stuff. That's the way it is. And that's the way it is to spiritual maturity as well. And so he says, there's so much in our life that competes for our attention. We've got to stay locked on the goal. And many Christians don't even know what the goal is. If you were to ask other Christians, what's the goal of our Christian life? What what would you say to that? The Bible's clear what our goal of our Christian life is, but most Christians don't even know it. So obviously, if you and I don't know where the finish line is, if we don't know what the goal is, then no wonder we get distracted. No wonder when things begin to compete for our attention, we, we go off somewhere else because we don't even know what we're supposed to be locked on to. And that's why I think he then goes on to say, let's run. Because the word run means to move forward, making progress, not only with full effort, but with a directed purpose. I can't run if I don't have something to aim for. And obviously he uses the word run here instead of walk. Because he's saying, obviously, you have to put forth more effort when you run than when you walk. And what he's talking about is something that's going to take our full effort. We're going to have to pour ourselves into this or else we'll never finish. Just like a marathoner. You know, someone that's not fully committed to running 26.2 miles and training for it, and we'll get to that next week, isn't going to make it. Someone who's half committed to getting through a marathon will never make it. Only the person who stays on the course and knows where the finish line is and the goal is and has worked towards it and is willing to put forth everything in it, those are the ones that finish. And that's why he then goes on to say, so we've got to run, but we've got to run not just with directed purpose and full effort, we've got to run with endurance. Because again, it's not a sprint. And this word endurance simply means with constancy, with steadfastness. I can't quit. I can't have the mindset that, you know, once I'm into this and it gets hard or it's not exactly what I want, that I just let it go. And yet again, we all know that's the culture we live in. Something gets too hard. Something has to be worked at. We leave. We walk away from it. It's why relationships don't last today. Because if I have to put too much work into something and this is hard, then I'll just walk away. This is the society we live in today. But this is not to be the character of the children of God. This is not to be part of of the mindset and disposition of those who claim to be followers and disciples of Jesus Christ. We have got to run with endurance, which means we've got to put ourselves in a place where our spiritual endurance and stamina is being built up at all times. Because again, folks, he makes no bones about it. This course that God has us on is grueling. It's challenging. It's hard. 
But we can make it. We can make it. Notice he then goes on to say this. Here's the next thing. He says, how do we finish? Verse 2, by keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus. Literally by turning away from everything else and turning our minds toward Jesus Christ. Giving Jesus my full attention. That's what the words mean. Again, so often, just like we see out on the highways today, people are dividing their attention between driving and keeping their eye on the road and something else. And I don't know about you, but that drives me crazy. Whether it's seeing a guy eat a bowl of cereal in the car on his way to work or a woman putting on her makeup while she's driving down the road or, you know, texting and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and, and yet you see the car, you know, veering into another lane going, oh my goodness, I almost just saw an accident. Why is that? Because I'm trying to keep my attention on where it should be, but I've also got my attention here. Not successful, Right. And yet many Christians try to do that in their Christian life. I'm not going to give Jesus my full attention. I'm going to, you know, give him part of my attention. But over here, I'm going to fill my mind with all these other things. And then every once in a while, yeah, oh yeah, Jesus, yeah. And he's saying, you and I will never finish the course like that. We have got to be locked in and focused on Jesus Christ. Fixing our eyes on him because he's the goal. He's the aim. And you and I will never become more like him and conform to his image and have his Christ-like character built into our lives if we don't keep our eyes focused on him. If something competes for our attention other than Jesus Christ, then the author would say, let it go. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. He calls Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of our life of faith. It means he should be the one that's leading us, pioneer. Are we leading our lives or are we letting Jesus lead our lives? And perfecter simply means not sinless. It means the one who will enable us to complete the course and finish it. In fact, he uses the very same term back up in chapter 11 in the very last verse, verse 40, where he talks about who would be made perfect together with us. It doesn't mean sinless. It means the ones who will finish the course, the ones who will complete it, the ones who will get to the finish line. Jesus enables us to get to the finish line. He's done it with others. He can do it with us. But in order to do that, we've got to keep our eyes fixed on him. Then he says about Jesus, how did Jesus endure what he did for the joy that was set out for him? He even endured the cross with his calm and courageous composure. He endured everything that surrounded the cross. It wasn't just the crucifixion itself. It was the rejection of people It was their view of who he was or who he wasn't. He wasn't the Messiah. It was the mocking. If you're the Christ, come down from the cross. It was the scourging. It was the beating. It was the plucking out of his beard. It was the crown of thorns on his head. Oh, and yes, it was the cross and being nailed to it. 
Because there has been no more horrible way to kill somebody in human history than crucifixion. In fact, there is a word even in our English language that we get from crucifixion. It's called excruciating. Literally, it means from the cross. When we say something is excruciating, we're talking about something that is extremely painful. And the author is saying, listen, Jesus, even the Son of God, had to endure all that he endured. And how did he do it? Not by focusing on his present circumstances, but by looking past it to his spiritual destiny. He was able to look past the cross and past all the pain and past all the suffering because he knew what was ahead of him. And as our example, the author is saying, use him as an inspiration and motivation. Don't only use those in Hebrews 11 and those Christians who've went on before us. Ultimately, use Jesus as our example to hang in there and stick with it no matter how hard it gets. Because obviously, as the Son of God, He could have stopped it at any time. He could have stopped the suffering, stopped the pain, stopped it all. And He didn't. He endured it all for the joy that was set. His destiny had been established. And the author is saying, may we never forget our destiny and what God has planned for us to keep us going in the here and now. He says, who for the joy that was set out for him, he endured the cross, even disregarding its shame. Jesus did not dwell on people's opinions or viewpoints of who he was. And Jesus is saying, don't do that either. Don't dwell on what others think of you, how they view you, or you will quit. And I think that's one of the problems with the people that this author was writing to. They had so much pressure from so many people around them. What are you doing? You're you're suffering for Christ? He's dead. He's buried. What are you getting out of this? You're putting all of this in. What's God done for you lately? All I see in your life is pain and suffering. Is it worth it? And Jesus is saying, don't let them get into your head. Don't let the opinions and viewpoints of others, even Christians who aren't willing to run this race and finish it, don't let their opinion and viewpoint of who you are and what you're doing affect you. You stay locked on Jesus and you keep running the race. Because it will be worth it all. One day. Notice the Bible says, because he was able to lay that aside, he took his seat at the right hand of the throne of God. He was given the highest position in the universe. And again, the inspiration and motivation is God has a special place in eternity for us. Keep your focus there and on Jesus and don't drown in the present circumstances and maybe even the pain and suffering and trial and tribulation you're going through. It's a hard road to become like Jesus Christ. It's a hard road to be a follower of Jesus Christ in a world that is hostile to Christians and to Christianity and to Christ. But remember something, my friends, this world was never to be a 
friend of Christians. That's why the Bible says that Satan is the God of this world. This isn't our home. We're just passing through to a much better place. And just like Jesus, we've got to keep that in mind, which is why then in verse 3, he says, think of him. There are two imperatives in this entire four verses. The first imperative is run. The second imperative is think. Everything else is participles. It sort of explains it all. It's run and think. And they both have to do with Jesus Christ, making him the center of our life. The word think means to ponder, to consider, to reflect. And this is something that's to be done continuously in the original language. It's never stop thinking about Jesus. I just wrote my blog yesterday on this subject. So go back if you didn't read my blog yesterday and there's more to be said about that. You and I don't think enough about Jesus Christ in our Christian life. It's one of the reasons why we struggle at times. Because our eyes, our attention isn't fixed on Jesus and we're not thinking enough about him throughout our day. But the author is saying that's the only way we're going to finish the race. He says, think of him who endured such opposition. He stood his ground against constant opposition against himself. Jesus, from the time he was on earth, was opposed even by his own followers, even by what we would say today would be fellow Christians. Let me give you an example of that. Jesus kept telling his followers, his own inner circle of disciples, I must suffer. I must go to Jerusalem. I must lay down my life. And remember what Peter, Peter was like, oh Lord, no, God forbid, and tried to talk Jesus out of it. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? Say, get thee behind me, who? Satan. Who was opposing Jesus at that point? Was it someone who didn't know him? Someone who wasn't following him? No, it was actually one of his own disciples who was opposing the will of God for his life. And so again, the author is saying, think of him. Jesus met opposition constantly in his life, but he did not let that deter him from locking in and locking on what he was here for. He was here to do his father's will. He was here to ultimately go to the cross and take the sin and take the suffering upon himself. And nothing, no amount of opposition, no opinions of people, no views of people, nothing was going to deter him. No amount of suffering. This is what he was here for and he was going to finish it. Because ultimately he wanted to bring glory to God. And so Jesus is looking for followers today that have that kind of determination and commitment and devotion and mindset towards him. He's not saying it's going to be easy to be a follower of Jesus Christ. He's not saying it's going to be an easy life to see God build Christ's character into our life every day. That spiritual growth and maturity doesn't come easy. But what Jesus will say is this. It will be the most rewarding, fulfilling, and satisfying thing any human being can be involved with. And I'm calling you. Will you accept the invitation? He says, I want you to consider all of this so that you and I may not grow weary in our souls and give up. That we might not collapse and crumble under the pressure that we might not succumb to the circumstances of life. 
but that we will say, I have one goal in my life. And that goal is to be more like Jesus Christ. And therefore, that's my goal. That's what I'm going to lock in on every day. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. I'm going to think of him all the time. And I'm not going to be distracted. I'm not even all these things that compete for my attention. Jesus is going to have my attention. I'm going to get rid of every weight and the sin Anything that doesn't originate or is empowered by God, and I'm going to just keep myself locked into Jesus. That's how we're to run this race. And then he says in verse 4, he reminds them of something that I think in the early church especially was something that was mind-blowing, that people reminded themselves of all the time that you and I don't talk a lot about today. And that is when the author says, you've not yet resisted to blood in your fight or struggle against sin. First of all, let me say this. Again, many Christians don't want to fight or struggle for anything. And the author is saying, if you and I want to be like Jesus, if we want to reach our full potential, if we want to grow as a Christian, and if we're not satisfied with just being a Christian, then we've got to be willing to fight and struggle. Because it's a fight or struggle for what really matters. You and I as human beings, we're willing to struggle for so much less. We're willing to fight for things that one day will not matter. And so he's saying, why not fight and struggle for what one day in eternity is really going to matter? And I think he gives them an example again of Jesus in the context. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he was persevering and he was enduring and he was going to do everything it took to do God's will and he was going to go to that cross? The Bible says that he was under such emotional stress that he began to sweat drops of blood. That actually can happen. It's rare, but it can happen. Tiny capillaries in the sweat glands can burst under unbelievable emotional stress to the point where one, as they perspire, also has blood in their perspiration. Jesus was struggling to do what was right and to finish his course. And the author is saying, you Hebrews, you're ready to quit, but you've never struggled like that. He's saying, take the example of Jesus. Was his life easy? No. His life was not at all easy. His life was hard. It was filled with suffering and rejection and pain. Misunderstanding. But he hung in there and I'm so glad he did. I'm so glad he thought I was worth it and that you're worth it too. And so Jesus again is saying to us, here's the invitation. You're a Christian already. You don't have to run a race to be a Christian. All you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you want to become like Jesus, you want to grow and reach your spiritual potential and do God's will in this life, you got to be willing to run the race. 
Are you and I willing to accept that invitation? Have you accepted that invitation? And maybe you have. And maybe somewhere in your marathon journey of becoming more like Jesus Christ, you may be like the Hebrews. You may be ready to give up. You are growing weary. Recommit yourself today. And say, I don't care what I got to go through. I'm keeping my eyes on Jesus Christ. I'm keeping my eyes on what my spiritual destiny is after this life. I am not going to let anything deter me or distract me from what I know God wants me to be in my life. I'm setting my course and I'm locking in on it. I'm going to ask our worship team to come now. This last song that we're going to sing really goes hand in hand with the message today. It even speaks about Jesus inviting us to join Him. But in order to join Jesus in the race that He has for us, because remember, God not only created you with a purpose in mind, He saved you and I with a purpose in mind. That in order to realize what that purpose is and achieve that purpose in our life, we not only have to accept the invitation, we got to stay locked on Jesus. And that's why there can be no more appropriate song than none but Jesus. Because that's really what the author is saying. You and I want to finish the race. We want to finish the course that God has for us. We want to become all that God saved us to be. Then we got to be willing to accept that invitation. And we got to run and run with endurance. Some of you today may want to come here to the front just as a way to say, you know what, after that message, I need to recommit myself to running the race. I'm weary. I feel like giving up. The weight is enormous. God is saying to you today, cast that weight on me. Get rid of it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Begin to think of Him. And center your life on Jesus Christ.